there, folks. My name is Emily, and you are listening to E Pluribus Unum, a podcast where we talk pop culture, politics, current events, values, and other things that affect our daily lives. But we're a little bit less political than most other political podcasts. And we, when I say we, I mean I, but I think of it like a we. I'm not crazy. It's not a dual personality thing. It's just me over here. But we, in the sense that you are a part of this conversation. Anyway, we slash I try to keep it non-confrontational. There's enough of that. So my quick little thought for the day, and this is for everyone, is if our president was still Trump and he was mandating that everyone get a vaccine or that employers are required that their employees get a vaccine, would Democrats still support it? Would Republicans support it? Would Democrats say this is tyrannical and Trump is being a dictator? Would, would Republicans say he's just doing it for our health? It's important to ask ourselves these questions, to flip the situation and ask how we would still respond when it comes to politicians and our approval of them or disapproval. Are we approving because we like them or because we like the actual policy? It's really important that we separate policy from politician because politicians are fallible humans who sometimes do good things and very often do stupid, awful things and hopefully will not be in office forever. And so we shouldn't get so focused on any one politician, but what we need to think about is policies. For instance, the proposal that the IRS should be able to see any transaction, $600 or above, or into any bank account, excuse me, that has $600 or above, and Republicans and Libertarians, rightly, are up in arms about it. I don't know how Democrats feel about it, but when the Patriot Act was proposed 20 years ago, or if you can believe that, it was so long ago, Republicans were for it and saying it's for our safety, it's for our security, they won't take advantage of it, and Democrats and Libertarians were reminding us that the government definitely would take advantage of it, and now it's the flip side because now it's Democrats who are trying to get too involved in our personal lives. The point is, when the script is flipped, do you still feel the same way? If you don't feel the same way, and you're just concerned about the politician and not the policy, well, to be honest, principled people, we should be able to say, this is what I believe policy-wise, and I don't care who does it, whether it's Donald Trump or Joe Biden, I don't like this kind of policy, it infringes on my rights, not my privacy, and this policy, which is enhancing freedoms, whether it's Joe Biden or President Trump or anyone else, I support it. That was just the quick thought for today, maybe not quite as quick as I anticipated, but it's not the main thrust of this episode. I know it was getting a little political there. I'm sorry, people. Trying to rein it back in a bit, go to something a little bit more cultural. This is a sports episode. We haven't really talked sports much. Sports, in many people's minds, maybe is not so controversial. People play sports. 
some people go. I mean, sports is definitely controversial. You know, if you're a Dodgers fan, you do not like the Giants. So there's controversy, but it's a different kind of controversy. But there have been some interesting news items recently. Millions of people in this country like sports. I am one of them. I'm not a huge sports fan, but when my team's playing, I root really hard. And I can enjoy going to almost any game because it's fun to be around the other fans and the crowds. And if the TV is turned on and the game is on, it almost doesn't matter. As long as you understand the fundamentals of the game, you can get into it because it's competition and that's exciting. And sports has become an important gauge of culture because they're getting a little bit more politically involved to sports and to the country's detriment. So the first news item, this is the more recent news item, is that the NFL recently admitted that its system, which paid out money to players with brain damage, paid less to black players. Now, the fact that the NFL is even paying out any money to retired players with brain damage is relatively new. The first time they admitted that football might have something to do with people's brain damage was in 2011, which is pretty recent. But recently, the scandal broke that they were paying less money or less likely to pay out to black players than to white players because a threshold for proving deterioration was higher for black players than for white players because the assumption was that black players were already operating with lower mental capabilities. So to prove the further deterioration of their mind caused by concussions or repeated hits to the head through football, they actually had a, a higher standard. This is apparently based on something called race norming, which is race-based adjustments for neurology, which were designed in the early 1990s by Dr. Robert Heaton to estimate how socioeconomic factors affect someone's health. Apparently, these are very widely used, but in recent years, scientists in the field have begun to recognize the limitations. So if I'm understanding it correctly, the idea is that when one goes into the doctor for a neurologic condition, the doctor might have some preconceived notion of where that patient should or shouldn't be based upon a variety of factors, which could include race and socioeconomic status, possibly where people are from, a whole host of things, gender, etc. So the NFL's payout to people with brain damage commission was using these standards and based on these standards, blacks were already at lower cognition. So therefore, to prove that they then had dementia or you know, on, oncoming dementia or other neurological issues because of football, they had to prove they had to score even higher on these tests. When I heard this story, I was like, that is the most clear cut systemic racism I've ever heard of. Black men were specifically, well, they were all men because it was football, but blacks were specifically being discriminated against because of their race. That was the only reason. Totally systemic racism, if ever, that moniker should be applied, it is here. But, this is a but, the question is, was the NFL motivated by race? It seems clear that they were right? Black players were paid less because they already thought blacks had lower cognition. Now, now that fact, the fact that they 
already assumed or that there's some race norming or some neurologic data that indicates that blacks were already would have had lower cognition, that is problematic. But the fact that the NFL used it because it was so widely used, it was clearly based on race that they were making their decisions. But the question is, were they making those decisions because they didn't like black people and they didn't want to support them post their NFL careers? Or was it all about money? I don't think we know. I don't think anyone has admitted it, and frankly, either way that they would admit it, it's disgusting. Whether they were motivated by money, or motivated by race, or both, this is disgusting behavior, immoral behavior, unscrupulous behavior. But it is important to ask that question. Thomas Sowell has mentioned in multiple of his books that in the early 1900s, many employers would put up signs that said, Irish need not apply. Now, if you are Irish, or if we are in 2021, and we think, we look at pictures of these signs that say Irish need not apply, we think, how racist, how discriminatory. And yes, it is both of those things. But what was the reason behind employers saying Irish need not apply? Well, as Thomas Sowell explains, in, in some neighborhoods, think New York, there were Irish and Italian applying for these jobs. And when the Irish and Italians would work together, they would fight a lot, which would cause disruptions in workflow and would cost the employers money because employees weren't getting work done on time and it was also costing people, they were fighting, they were getting hurt. So that was costing money and time. And so instead of taking the time to have Italian-only workers over here and Irish workers over here or different shifts or whatever, it was easier for employers to just say, Irish need not apply. We're not going to hire Irish. We're not going to worry about the Italians and the Irish fighting together when they're on the factory line. Just no Irish. Again, a racial discrimination. But the Irish weren't discriminated against because they were Irish they were discriminated against because there was fighting going on and it was just easier. So the question is here, same thing with the NFL. Were they discriminating against these black players because they don't like black people? Or is it because the majority of NFL retirees are black and if the NFL had to pay out money to people with brain damage caused by concussions, they'd be paying out more money to black people just because there are more black people, so therefore they made the standards higher so they wouldn't have to pay out as much money. I'm going to reiterate, even though I shouldn't have to, that this was wrong. No matter what their motivation, this was wrong. But it's interesting, to, it's an interesting and important to ask the question of why, because we get caught up in race so easily. And it's important to, well, with anything, to take a few steps back and see what the root problem is. Because if we get to the root problem, maybe we can fix it. And also just to not blame everything on race and to think critically about things. This is just about thinking critically, taking a few steps back, asking the questions. It seems unlikely to me that the people in charge over at the NFL are racist, considering, again, that a majority of the players are black, so it would indicate that probably money, which is... a Disgusting reason to do something, but it would indicate that maybe money has at least part to do with their decision-making process. 
But it's important that we flex our brains and ask her ask ourselves these questions when we hear news stories, especially when we hear news stories that are like so perfect and they fit exactly into the narrative that we already believe, you know, the the confirmation bias. We need to step back and ask questions and think about where something comes from and just take it a few steps further than the headline. I also want to talk about Major League Baseball It is the World Series after all. It seems appropriate. Maybe one of these days we'll get to the NBA or hockey. We probably won't get to soccer, but who knows? The Houston Astros, who are currently in the World Series playing against the Atlanta Braves, were caught cheating. They were stealing signs and they were punished. Stealing signs is something that everyone does to some extent. So for those of you who might not be so familiar with baseball, The signs that I'm talking about are the ones that the catcher relays to the pitcher as they are deciding what pitch to throw to the batter. Because the pitcher is on the mound, the catcher is at home plate, so they can't discuss. They don't have little earpieces to talk to each other, though maybe they should. So they send hand signals, and each catcher and pitcher have their own signals, and they change them up a little bit by team and even from inning to inning because... People do try to pick up on them. You know, if you're on second base, you're going to see them. So they're not totally a secret. And people try to steal the signs and relay them to the other players. Why what the Astros did was worse was because it wasn't just the players on the field who were trying to figure it out. They actually had part of the Astros group in a room watching video of the catcher so they could see the signs and relay it to the second baseman who would then relay it to the dugout. And they were using, they would whistle, they would clap, they would bang on trash cans. That's the big thing. They were banging on trash cans. There's even maybe some speculation that some of them were wearing microphones. Anyway, they were cheating in a way that was not the normal, I don't want to say normal cheating because usually it's not cheating. You're reading what the other players are doing, but they were, they were actually cheating, doing things they were not allowed to do. So the Astros were cheating. It was discovered because one of their players actually went to another team and reported it. There had also previously been suspicions that they were cheating, but it finally came out totally at the end of 2019. So they were punished in 2020. And their punishment was that their general manager and manager was fired. They lost their first and second round draft picks for 2020 and 2021, and they were fined $5 million. None of the players were punished because the MLB had previously warned the league that if any cheating were caught, that it would be the managers who were at fault and not the players. So the Astros were caught and they were punished. The issue here, for many, is that the Astros don't really seem to have been punished that much. Five million dollars is nothing. To a whole organization, when you think about some of those players' salaries, five million dollars is a drop in the bucket. General manager and manager fired. Obviously, to them, that was a big deal. But nothing happened to the players. And they lost their first and second round draft picks, which is a big deal because that means by the time you get to your draft pick, a lot of the big, a lot of the best players have already been taken, of course. So it's not nothing. But to many people, the punishment seems like nothing because the players still got to keep playing. They're in the World Series again. It seems like they didn't really suffer. And not that punishment should be suffering per se, but it just seems like they got off easy. I'm not the only person who thinks this. 
I was looking up the specifics of their punishment and one of the articles was specifically titled why so many people think the Astros got off easy. So of course fans whose teams lost to the Astros are upset and I'm not a huge baseball fan but there's something about this which rankles me. I'll get to that in just a second but I want to talk about this idea of not being punished enough because the question that others raise is fine you think they're not punished enough what else could have happened? People say, well, all the players should have been banned, which is an option. Or the team shouldn't be allowed to play for a whole season. There, there are bigger punishments. It's interesting to look at a little bit of sports history here. So permit me to do that for just a moment. The idea of banning players from the MLB is not new. Players were banned in the early 20th century for gambling and for throwing games, which apparently was kind of a common practice. Um, Shoeless Joe Jackson is one of those players. He was a, one of the greatest baseball players, but he was banned for life for gambling. Pete Rose also was banned for gambling. And then there's this interesting story, which is not baseball, but shows a an interesting cultural shift. So in 1951, the City College of New York, their basketball team, was found to be guilty of taking bribes and throwing a game. This is the only team, by the way, that has ever won both the NIT and the NC2A basketball tournaments. Now it's no longer possible because a team can't be in both tournaments. You can only be in one or the other. But that wasn't always the case. You used to be able to be in both. So their feat is meaningful, even though it's no longer copyable. They were also never allowed to play at Madison Square Garden again. And one of their players was banned from ever being able to play in the NBA. Maybe they all were and just none of the rest of them were going to go to the NBA. That I don't know for sure. Just think about this. College players making no money were banned. Not only were they banned, their school was banned for life from ever being in any other college tournament, the NC2A being the biggest, but the NIT is also a big deal, ever. This college is totally banned because of what a few college kids who are probably dead by now, did. The Astros, made up of professionals making millions or hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, are allowed to continue to play. Again, it's a different sport. One is college, one is professional. But this is probably another issue of it's all about the money. The MLB doesn't want to cancel a whole team, ban them from ever playing again. I mean, that's money for the city of Houston, that's money for the MLB, and all the ads and whatever else... And maybe stealing signs, I suppose it could be argued, was not quite as big of a deal as actually throwing a game for money. But it is an interesting cultural shift that 1951, so 60-some years ago, 70 years ago, the ethics of the time were such that if you cheated, not only were you banned, but your school was banned forever. And today, in 2021, you get to be in the World Series the next year. It's an interesting insight or indication or something at the very least of where we are as a nation and what we consider to be important, you know, what it means to be an honorable person, an honest person. But as I mentioned before, though I am a sports fan, the only sports I really like are college sports and I really only care about college basketball and football, major league baseball. I enjoy going to games. I don't really have a strong opinion on it, but I have a strong opinion on this and here's why. For the past year, Professional sports have lectured to us about 
what horrible people we are, we as a country are, and they're going to be role models for us. They've let their players kneel when the national anthem was played. Some of the players wore Black Lives Matter on their jersey instead of their actual names. If you watched any sports on TV, they were showing ads about inclusion and not discriminating and Black Lives Matter. And though this is not specifically sports, you can think of that Gillette ad that played during the Super Bowl and ads that played during the Super Bowl are a very clear indication of where we are culturally about toxic masculinity. So we have had professional sports lecturing us about the kind of people we should be. Meanwhile, they are upholding systemically racist policies in the NFL and the MLB cares more about money than the honesty and integrity of the game of baseball. And that's why all of this is so upsetting. Look, if sports just wanted to be sports, if they just said, we play football on Sundays and then we go home and do whatever we want, fine. I would still be upset because millions of young boys and young girls too look up to athletes as role models or as, or in hopes of what they could one day do. And to see the Astros getting away And yes, it really is getting away. The players at the very least got away with cheating. I think that sends a terrible message to every kid playing Little League. These are the people they're looking up to that they theoretically hope to one day be. And cheating gets them into the World Series. If professional sports just played sports, I don't think I would care this much. But they have been lecturing to us about the kind of people we are. And the kind of people they are is scum. They're dishonest. They are at least enforcing racist policies, if not actually racist themselves. I'm still very hesitant to call a person racist. That should be reserved for only the most true circumstances of racism. And they take themselves so seriously. They want us to look up to people like LeBron James and to listen when he tells us Black Lives Matter or that we're all terrible people or whatever. We're supposed to take them seriously, but they don't even take the game of baseball seriously. If you took the game of baseball seriously, there would be serious consequences for cheating because when you cheat at a game, you have broken the very essence of a, the very essence of a game is that there's fairness, that there are rules that each team has abided by, has approved to follow so that the game is about who's the best, who are the best players, who has the best strategy. And when they allow cheating or don't have serious consequences for cheating, they're like, you know what, this game's really about money. It's about getting your butts in these seats and selling you overpriced popcorn and beer and having you watch on TV so we can make millions of dollars. They want us to listen to them as social justice activists or thought leaders for a generation. I think we'd be a lot better off if sports took themselves less seriously because as much fun as people get watching sports, Frankly, athletes, you're not oncologists. You're not Marines. You're playing a sport and you're very lucky to be getting to do what you love, but you are not saving the world. You are not saving people. So we sh- they should stop taking themselves so seriously and start taking the game seriously. And then they could be actual role models for honesty and integrity, like the CCNY basketball player in 1951. He's the one player he was offered money, but he, instead of taking it, went to a lawyer because he was honest. He realized that taking a bribe to throw a game was not okay. It was not in the best interest of this sport, was not the right thing to do. We need more players like that, not more players kneeling at a flag. So 
that's my rant. I don't do a lot of those, but I felt, in case you couldn't tell, very passionate about this subject. I hope it was interesting to you, even if you don't like sports. There's so much to be learned in the world around us, so whether we like sports or not, it's a cultural phenomenon, and knowing where sports is, where the people involved in professional sports are, is an indication of where we are as a people. Thank you so much for listening, and don't be like me today. Don't go rant at people. Instead, try to be a little kinder than necessary. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to E Pluribus Unum. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and a review. And please share the podcast with anyone you think would benefit from some common sense and thoughtfulness. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram at E Pluribus Unum Podcast. You can also find me on Locals at E Pluribus Unum Podcast.locals.com. The intro and end music is Chopin's Etude, Opus 10, Number 1 in C Major, known as the Waterfall Etude.